The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. It's a blessing to uh, be back. I enjoyed the time in the Sunday school hour, and I'm looking forward to making acquaintance. I'm going to move this music, uh, lest I be tempted to sing. And uh, our Can I, can I sure. dismiss fourth grade and below? No, uh, no. No. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Paris, you use your own discretion. On, uh, on, on, on the use of uh, junior church this morning, but uh, that's, that is available for you this morning. Okay. Okay. And our blind piano player said when he heard me sing, he wishes he was deaf as well as blind. So I'm not going to be singing to you. We do have some uh, music. Pastor allowed us to put some of our Heartland Baptist Bible College music out on the table in the foyer. And if you're interested in any of that, these CDs here, of course, we haven't been able to record now. This is the second year in a row because of you know what. So we haven't been able to do that, but there's some, a collection of some really good music on these CDs as well as a quartet that are all graduates of Heartland and used to sing in the uh, Glory Bound Quartet. Uh, Amen Quartet is what they're called. There's some really great uh, music there. And if you're interested in that, come by the table. We also have brochures and I'll answer any questions you might have about Heartland Baptist Bible College. I'm a terrible salesman that way. I'm not a big uh, promoter, but if you uh, have interest in you or your children uh, for Bible College, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about Heartland Baptist Bible College. You don't blame me for believing in it, do you? I should hope not. I was the president of the school for 19 years, and uh, in 2018 I retired from that as well as the pastorate in 2010. And so I'm now a pastor emeritus and chancellor of the school. Now, if you don't know what that means, I don't either. So it's just a, pretty much an honorary, and I'm glad to be associated with both. John chapter 14 is our text this morning. The Gospel of John and chapter number 14. Now, we're going to read from a pretty familiar text for many, not necessarily everyone, I suppose, but uh, John chapter 14 beginning in verse number 1. Now, tonight, while you're turning there, I'd like to make mention that if the Lord's willing, and I'm, I'm almost sure this is the way it's going to work, uh, but we're going to be in the book of the Revelation, chapter 11. And uh, I, I hope that maybe this afternoon, if you'd read the 11th chapter of the Revelation, in fact, read the first 11 chapters. Oh, the first 11 chapters of Revelation. Yeah, that would take you a good... 45 minutes maybe, 30, 45 minutes. It's the Lord's day. It wouldn't hurt anybody. And if you go ahead and read the text and make yourself familiar, it can easily shave off 10 or 15 minutes of preaching. It probably won't, but it could. I said it could. I didn't say it would. I said it could. And so do read that. Make yourself familiar with it. At least read uh, Revelation chapter 11. Now, we're not going to cover the whole chapter, but if you read that, I think, the, I think the message could be a help and hopefully an encouragement to you, and I am excited about preaching it tonight. All right, so John chapter 14. Let's stand uh, for the reading of the Word of God. Unless you need to remain seated for physical reasons, that's just fine, of course. But we begin in verse number 1 of chapter 14. Again, to many familiar words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. But Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Father, we are very grateful today for your precious word. Thank you for the opportunity to be ministered to in song and then also to join our voices together and give you thanks and praise your wonderful name by music. God, it's a blessing, it's a privilege, and thank you for the congregational singing today. I pray now that you would bless both the reading of your precious word and this effort to proclaim your word. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, our dependence upon you, both the preacher and the hearer need, must have the help and the unction, the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you'd help me to communicate clearly, help your people to have hearing ears, and I pray that you would accomplish your purposes through the preaching of thy word today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> At the risk of using cliches, or as some would say, searching for old and worn out statements, I'm going to make three statements today that have been said over and over and over again. If I knew how to say them more clearly and better, I would. But here they are. From this Bible, we know where we came from, you know where this is going, why we're here, and where we're going. That is clear from the Word of God. The, I'm going to say the wonderful Word of God. Amen. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. 66 books of the Bible is the way we explain it, and yet it is one book. And in this one book, there is one story. Now, actually, as you go through the Bible and read your Bible, I have had people say, well, I tried to read the Bible and it's boring. My answer usually is this, no, you're boring, because there's nothing boring about the Bible at all. And actually, in this book, there are all kinds of plots or subplots and all kinds of stories. There are some that say you should never refer to the stories of the Bible. It is not a book of stories. Well, there are stories in it. I don't really care what anybody said. There are exciting stories in it. Some of my favorite preaching over the years has been, 
Exciting stories from the characters of Genesis. Exciting stories from Exodus to Canaan. Exciting stories in conquering Canaan, the book of Joshua. Exciting stories in the times of the judges. Exciting stories in the times of the kings and the prophets. Exciting stories in the times of the king and the prophet, Jesus. Exciting stories in the Acts of the Apostles, which is really the Acts of the work of the uh, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Oh, there's all kinds of exciting material in the Word of God. And the Word of God reveals to us His creative work. It reveals how sin entered into the world. It also reveals the redemptive work of God, His work to redeem the fallen race. His work to redeem, read the book of the Revelation, His creation. It tells of the redemptive work of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is all one story. It's all one story. One writer that some would recognize the name, I would never recommend him for theology, but he has written some interesting things historically and word studies such as that. And he said, one thing is clear from the Bible. History is going somewhere. One thing is clear from the Bible. History is going somewhere. And you can't give serious attention to the Bible without coming to the overwhelming conclusion that that is a true statement, that there will be a time of consummation. There will be a time when things as we have known it on this planet for the past 6,000 years, there is coming a time when it will be no more. There is a change coming. History is going somewhere. And the fact that history is going somewhere will have largely to do, or does have largely to do, with the one who said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and was, and is to come, the Almighty. You see, He is at the heart of it all. Somebody said, who is that again? Well, who but Jesus could say, I am the Alpha and Omega, and I am the beginning and the ending, and I am He which is and was and is to come, the Almighty. There's only one that could say that, and that's Jesus. And Jesus said, I will come again. Fundamental to the fact that uh, time is moving, that Uh, The Bible is uh, making it clear that history is going somewhere. Fundamental to that is the coming of Jesus Christ. You cannot possibly accurately understand where history is moving and where it is going and eliminate the return of Jesus Christ. And remember now that Jesus said, I will come again. Maybe it was preached more in another day than it is today. I I don't know that. I I don't have any statistics to prove that. 
that just by my own observation and talking to a number of people of my own generation uh, that would say, I can remember a time when there would be whole revivals about the second coming of Jesus Christ and there was more teaching about the coming of Jesus, more teaching about the coming of Jesus. And I remember hearing it preached all the time. I mean, a lot. I remember thinking when I was saved as a kid at the age of six years of age and raised up in church all of my life, the Bible read in our home every day in the morning and at night. And I can remember thinking, I'll never live long enough to get married. I'll never be a husband. I'll never have a wife. Now, I was beyond six when I was thinking that, but I'm just saying, through those years, I thought, that's never going to happen because Jesus is going to come before I ever get to that age. I was called to preach at the age of 16, and I can remember pastor sitting in a revival uh, not long after I got preached, and it was about the second coming of Jesus, Sunday to Sunday. The evangelist preached on the second coming of Jesus Christ, and you know what came to my mind? I will never live long enough to preach. I'll never live long enough to pastor a church. I'll never live long enough to do that, because Jesus is coming again. And maybe there's not as much preaching about the coming of Jesus Christ as there once was, but I'm of the persuasion and becoming more strong about it that the farther we go, the more we ought to preach about the coming of Jesus Christ. Our text here this morning makes it very clear. Jesus said, I will come again. Now, in our context, I would have to say it like this. When Jesus said, I will come again, this was great news for troubled hearts. Now I'll say it this way. The fact that Jesus is coming again is really wonderful news for troubled hearts. Why'd you bring up troubled hearts? Because troubled hearts provoked what he said here. The passage begins, let not your heart be troubled. Now he's primarily giving attention to his disciples. And if Jesus said to them, let not your heart be troubled. You can rest one assured of one thing, and that is those disciples had troubled hearts. And if you want to know what their heart was troubled about, all you got to do is go back to chapter 12, chapter 13. And in both of these passages, Jesus is teaching his disciples that he is going to soon die and fulfill his purpose for coming here to pay for the sins of the whole world. That he is going to die and that he will raise again from the dead, and that he will return again to the Father. That's what he is telling them. Now, if you would follow the course of what has taken place, you could see why this troubled the disciples so. By now they had been walking with him for three years. They had overwhelming evidence that he was the Son of God. Peter has long ago said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember when the feeding of the 5,000 uh, took place and Jesus taught them about the fact that he was the bread of life and they must eat of that bread and drink of that blood. If you remember Jesus teaching about that, it was a hard saying for many of them. And many of his disciples went and followed him no more. And, and Jesus looked to the disciples, the twelve, and said, Will ye also go away? And Peter spoke up again. He said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we are sure that thou art the Christ. So the disciples understood that, except for the deceiver, the hypocrite, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, one that was of the devil, and that was Judas. They believed. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed he was the Son of God. And, and one of the things they believed was the words that he spoke. Never a man spake like he did. 
Every word that he spoke came from the Father, and they embraced that, and they believed it. Besides that, they'd seen the miracles. We don't have time to go through all the miracles, but if you're a Bible reader, you don't have to be much of one to know. As you read through the Gospels, that there are miracles that are performed one after another that had to do with the healing of the physical uh, afflictions that people had, had to do with the casting out of demons in the spirit world. It had to do with calming the storms, even raising the dead. And the disciples observed all of this, convinced, persuaded that he was the Son of God. And being so convinced, they believed, like many others did believe, that this Messiah, this is the Messiah, and he will therefore establish his kingdom and sit here upon the throne of David and reign on this earth. They're convinced of that. As a matter of fact, I could show you in the Gospel of John chapter 6 where Jesus moved out of the scene and off of the scene for a time because they would take him by force to make him king. And so there was that mentality and there was that thinking that he is no doubt the Messiah. Nobody could do what he did uh, except uh, he be the Messiah. And he has fulfilled all the prophecies of the Messiah. Oh, yes, this is the Messiah. But to them, Messiah meant that he's going to reign. He's going to sit on the throne of David. And just the time the disciples, watch me now, are spending a lot of time talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to sit on his right hand? Who's going to sit on his left hand? About the time they're talking and thinking about that, all the way to the shadow of the cross, Jesus is saying, I will die. And when he said that, I'm not sure they even heard him say, I'll raise again the third day. Why? Their hearts were troubled. They were not thinking of death. So here we have these disciples, and they are consumed with this troubled heart they are consumed with this troubled soul. They could not understand how it was that one that had power over death would die. Or one that had power over the demon world, power over the realms of nature, power over the physical afflictions that beset so many. One that could do what Jesus did, die? No, no. That's why Peter interrupted in the Gospel of Luke. He said, this shall not be unto thee. And that's when Jesus had to say to Peter, get thee behind me. You're being like an adversary. Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan has to do with being an adversary. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. As long as you're standing between me and the will of God, you're an offense, not a help. Now get behind me where you belong. Everybody with me here? And that's where the disciples were. And Jesus knew they had troubled hearts. And he speaks these words to troubled hearts. Now we'd mention this because they weren't the last ones to have troubled hearts. Now, were they? No, you look all through history, and you look through all time, and there are seasons of time, and there are times, even as you read through the letters, I mean the letters of the Apostle Paul, read the book of 1 Peter, for example, and you'll see that through time, and not only what is written and recorded of those uh, disciples and those apostles of that time, excuse me, but what they said about the future till Jesus comes again, all through time, there are troubled hearts. Right now, it could be in this room. There are some that you don't even know it, but they have a troubled heart. You, you look at the situation of our culture. You look at the situation of our society. No, I'm not going to talk about all the horrors out here in the culture and the society. That's, that's not my point. But we do live in a time that has created a good deal of anxiety. 
and a good deal of worry and a good deal of concern. And it's not just the virus itself. It's all that's gone on in our culture and our society throughout this past year and what has taken place and what we see unfolding and taking place. Many people look at that and they're concerned. They're concerned about uh, the job that they might have. I mean, I live in Oklahoma. So many people are related to the oil industry and the energy industry. And all through Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, there are other places, but I'm just saying it's really heavy there. And there was a time when the whole economy of our state was built on farming and oil, and oil was bigger. And now look what's happening. Because of global warming, warming, you've noticed it the last few weeks, I'm sure, because of global warming, then there's going to be the doing away of the fossil fuels, and we're not going to have that anymore. And that's going to affect thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. And there are people that are worried about, well, what about my investments? Well, what about this? Well, what about this and another thing? And they're concerned about all the things. What's going to happen is our country seems to be marching towards socialism and such as that. What's going to happen? Why? No, I've got, listen, I've got three children raising children. Our oldest daughter already has hers raised, and our second daughter almost does. And our son, he has four little girls. We have ten granddaughters. He has four little girls that are age three to 14, and he's raising those kids. And I'm saying, what kind of United States of America are these kids going to be raised in? You got three little great-grandsons. Their daddy pastors are, are, and is married to our oldest granddaughter. And they have three little boys uh, there north of Tulsa pastoring a church. And I just preached there about three weeks ago today. And, and oh, man, those kids are a delight. I mean, they're a joy. But I can't help but look at them and say, what kind of country, if Jesus hadn't come first, what kind of country are they going to be raised in? There are people that look at that, and it causes troubled hearts. Then there are other people that say, I wish that was my concern instead of what has my heart troubled. I sat in a pastor's chair for 36 years, tried to be in the ministry the past 54 years investing in people, and I just happened to know, ladies and gentlemen, that there are many people that the political situation, the economic situation, is one of the least of their concerns right now because they have a marriage that's falling apart. Or they have a family that's coming unglued, coming apart at the seams. I've heard it. Our family is coming apart. It's being destroyed. I'm close to someone right now whose son is out of jail again. Out of jail again. For the fifth time. He's going to wreck and ruin his life. They fear for his safety. They fear, where's this boy going? How's this going to turn out? He's now a young man. How's this going to go? And honestly, the political situation and the election and the economy and all the fussing that's going on in the political scene is right now one of the least of their concerns. But their heart is troubled over the heartache and the heartbreak. What's going to happen, Brother Sam? You hear somebody say, this pastor's heard it or will hear it. What's going to happen if my son right now or my daughter right now doesn't receive instruction? If they're rebellious against that at this stage of their life, what is going to happen if they don't turn, if their heart doesn't turn? What's going to happen to them and their hearts are troubled? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to this marriage? There's strife. There's been infidelity. There's been failure. 
We worked through it once, and now we're working through it again. And, and there's, a, there's this strife, and the, it's torn, and the marriage is wounded, it's, it's damaged. Is there any hope for this marriage? And there are people wondering about that. Yeah, saved people. Yeah, people that claim to know God, know Jesus, and their heart's troubled. So it wasn't just them, was it? And it's not just about the big issues that we see on the news every single day, if you can stand to look at the news every single day. It's not just those issues. It's those in the smaller world, in the family, in the home, in one's own personal life. I had a man tell me not that long ago, and he said, pornography is destroying my soul. This pornography is destroying my soul. It consumed me. It's going to wreck my marriage. It's going to wreck my home. It's going to wreck my life. Troubled hearts. From the big scene to the family scene to the personal scene, there are troubled hearts. No fun to talk about, is it? Is this not working? It's not fun to talk about, is it? No, it's not fun to talk about. But Jesus addresses troubled hearts. Not just theirs. Come on, it lives in the Word of God to address troubled hearts in 2021. It, it, it lives in the Word of God to address the hearts of His people. That there is reason for encouragement. There is reason. Jesus spoke and He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Well, of course He did. All through the Word of God. Don't you remember reading? Be not afraid. God said to Joshua, here are the people at the Red Sea. And basically Moses chided them about their fear and their anxiety. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And throughout the Word of God, you see God addressing His people at times when they would have a heart that's troubled and a heart that's fearful and a heart that is filled with stress and anxiety. And He would come and say to them, fear not, be not afraid. Be of good cheer. I'm telling you, Jesus came to the disciples when they were assembled for fear of the Jews after the resurrection, and he spoke to them these words, Peace be unto you. You know what that means? Peace be unto you. Shalom. Peace be unto you. The greatest blessings and bestowments of my Father be upon you. Oh, sure. They're assembled here for fear of the Jews. Jesus appears and says, Peace be unto you. Twice. Right there in that setting. Paul reflects the same spirit when he's out about to have shipwreck. He told them they shouldn't sail, and they sailed anyway. And there's a bunch of people, what, nearly 300, that are about to go down in the ship and perish and die. And there's panic and hysteria everywhere as the storm rages now for day after day after day. And the ship is about to be broken and destroyed. And Paul speaks up, and he says, Be of good cheer, for I believe God. <laughs> That's all through the Bible. Sure. See, because since the fall to this present time, reason for troubled hearts, reason for concern, reason for worry. You look at the situation of this world, you look at the direction of a culture, you look at the problems in your own life, there's reason for a troubled heart. There's reason for a troubled heart. There's reason for the troubled heart. And we put our face in the Bible and we hear Jesus still saying, let not your heart be troubled. And those words are accompanied by incredible assurance. Look in verse number 2. 
Look at this. Let not your heart be troubled. Did I say verse 2? I meant verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Okay, what's the point? He's given us counsel. His counsel for the trouble, please. His counsel for the troubled heart is what? Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. <laughs> okay, I don't think we're connecting yet. Uh, I became pastor of Southwest. I'd pastored in Stillwater, Oklahoma for 16 years, and then in 1990 went to Southwest Baptist Church, and I didn't know that church hardly at all. They knew very little of me. And anyway, it's a long story how it all came about. But after a couple of years, I remember it going through the church. Now, uh, Brother Sam is a good pastor, and we like his preaching, but if you need counseling, you probably don't want to go to him because he's just going to take the Bible and preach to you some more <laughs> when you go. So you probably don't, you know, you probably need to go somewhere else for counseling. I'm thinking, you're serious. There's better counseling than this? Well, yeah, uh, you know, um, we like our pastor and, and we like his preaching, but he doesn't go deep into problems. Let me see here. Who said this now? I think Jesus could go deep enough to bury all of us, don't you think? And what did he say to troubled hearts? Believe in God. Believe in me. That's simple. That, that, well, that, yeah, that's simple, but that's not very deep. You can go deeper than believing God. You have better counsel than obey, trust and obey Jesus. You have better counsel than that? I don't think so. See, here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people go to those who draw from a large pool of unbiblical psychological thinking and try to address the issues of the heart. It can't be done. The issues of the heart are dealt with by the truth of the Word of God. And it begins by this. Believe God. Believe Jesus Christ. And when I say believe Him, I don't mean intellectually assent that God is. I don't mean intellectually assent to the fact that Jesus is a historical being. When it says believe God, embrace what He said. Embrace what He's in revealed, what He has revealed. And when it says believe in Jesus, it doesn't mean believe that He existed at one time and now is ascended to the Father in heaven. It means believe what He said. Embrace what he taught. Act upon his teaching. Appropriate his word to your life. It will soothe the troubled heart to believe God and believe Jesus. 
That's counseling. Yeah, let's not forget one thing, too. You remember, we just came through the Christmas season. Everybody gets all revved up about it, but they don't get revved up long enough about it. Because when it said unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, uh, it says, his name shall be called Wonderful. Somebody say amen right there. Don't make me have to preach on what wonderful is. I mean, his name should be called Wonderful. Let's see, there's a list of some other ones. Anybody know that second one? Counselor. Counselor. Somebody wanted to move to Prince of Peace. Now, don't, you're getting ahead. That's where we're going tonight, so don't talk about that now. Wonderful. Counselor. What's his counsel? Believe God. Believe me, Jesus said. That's what he said. What is it we're supposed to believe? Ah, he goes on. Look at this. Watch this now. He calls our attention heavenward. I said, hey, let's not forget one thing. We're pilgrims here. We're strangers here. We are on a sojourn here. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. We are strangers, pilgrims, and sojourners in this world. So to deal with the struggles and the difficulty and the things that bring anxiety and trouble to the heart, what does Jesus do? He points us to our home and where, what he has for us rather than this temporary place where we are. And when you look at the economy of God, then you realize that should we live to be 70, that three score and 10, and even beyond that, that we are living in just a little bitty speck called time, and that there is that which is beyond this life that is the real reality. Somebody says, you don't live in the real world if you believe the Bible. I'm sorry. If you don't believe in the Bible, you live in a phony temporary world of unbelief and rebellion against God. Mm -hmm. Okay, i got to get to verse 2. Believe in God, believe in God. Now watch this. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Why is he telling them this? Because they have a troubled heart. He's going to help them with it. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, a little touch of sarcasm here. If it were not so, well, yeah, really, in your Father's house are many mansions. Are, are you serious? If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, I wouldn't be telling you what I'm telling you. And then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let's stop here for just a second. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So let's just make this real quick. Uh, the Father's house, heaven. The Father's house, heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. Heaven. When we were taught by Jesus to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father which art in heaven. I could go to reference after reference after reference to where it is understood that God dwells in heaven. So let's just start there. You really believe there's a heaven? <laughs> yes, I believe there's a heaven. Now are you going to read this and say, no. No, I don't really believe in a heaven, but that's something he said there. No, there's a heaven. And it's called his father's house. And in the father's house, look at this, are many mansions. 
Well, do you know the word mansions? I know, I know, I don't want to get into all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that there is in heaven a place for you that are saved, that know Jesus in salvation. So he's saying to the disciples, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, there, are much, there is much speculation about this place. Somebody says, well, what about heaven this? I've got a sister, my oldest sister. She's now 87 years of age. And my sister asks me questions all the time about what it's like in heaven. She's got two children there. She's got a husband there. She's getting more interested in heaven all the time. Mom and dad are there. Grandparents are there. There are way more on the other side than there are on this side. And she's asking me questions about heaven. I can't, I can't answer every question she's got. Well, yeah, but I read where somebody said this about heaven and somebody said that. What did Jesus say? What did he say? I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. The fact that heaven is the Father's house and in it are many mansions, dwelling places... That's not enough. You must know more. We must know more than he revealed. No, it's enough. Number one, it's enough because he prepared it. Somebody say amen. Don't make me preach on it. It's enough because he prepared it. And he said, I go to prayer place for you. I'll come again and receive you myself that where I am there you may be also. If he made it and he's there, that's all I need to know. Well, that's you. Well, that's all you need to know, too, because that's basically all we do know. He made it, and he'll be there. You need more than that? The old gospel songwriter said, Jesus will be what makes it heaven to me. I think you'll get a lot of amens on that when we get there in the presence of the Lord. Now, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, look at this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, verse 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So Jesus, hold on just a second. He told the disciples, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to die, and I'll go back to my father. And they, uh, how's their response? Oh, no, no, no. We're, we're thinking about you being the king. Oh, no, we're going to set one on your right hand. No, no, you're messing up all of our dreams. But he said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But I'm, hold on, there's not a period after I'm going to go place, prepare a place for you. The, the Bible doesn't end there. I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, can you get more emphatic than that? I read the Bible, but I just can't understand it. Can you understand this? Jesus went to be with the Father. Acts chapter 1 says those disciples observed as he ascended up into the heavens. That's what the Bible says. And two men came along in white apparel and said to them, Why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go to heaven. They saw it with their own eyes. He went up and then Jesus said, and this confirmed by those angels, I will come again. So what does that mean? He's coming again. 
You know, you say, I'm looking at this, this, I got this kind of problem, this kind of problem, and, and I'm looking at our culture, and I'm looking at our society. In fact, I'm looking at the world now. We got friendly relations. I'm afraid we're going to have friendly relations with China and Persia or, or Iran. We're going to have this. We got all oh, this world is going to be blown up by a big atomic blast or something like that. And oh, what am I going to do? And besides that, I've got families and home and the economy and money and health and on and on and on and on. The issues go, what am I going to do, Jesus? said, I'm coming again. I will come again. Shouldn't that be what motivates us? Shouldn't that what be calms our troubled heart? Oh, my soul, what's going to happen? I'm going to dwell on it more tonight, a little bit. Uh, but what's going to happen? What's going to take place? Where is our country going? I'm not sure where it's going. I have concerns about where it's going. I'm not saying I'm not interested in where it's going. I'm not saying I don't pray for our nation. I do pray for our nation. All of God's people should pray for our nation, for the leaders of our country. My soul, it's time we confess the sins of this nation and the sins of our country. But beyond that, ladies and gentlemen, there's something that just is supposed to motivate us and take us on with the joy of the Lord and serving the Lord and loving the Lord, and that is this. Jesus will come again. Now this must be separated from His coming in power and glory when He comes to reign upon the earth. This is when He comes to take us out of here. This is the First Thessalonians 4 stuff. We're caught up to be together to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever. Caught up near to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This has to do with the 1 Corinthians 15 stuff. In a moment, the twinkling of eye, last trump, trumpets of sound. The dead shall be raised. Hold on just a second. And this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And Paul said in the book of Philippians in chapter number 3 that we'll have that glorious body fashioned like unto his own glorious body. Now, that's when Jesus comes again and takes us out of here. Well, I read so-and-so. Read your Bible. I said, well, I read so. Somebody doesn't believe this and somebody doesn't believe I read where one famous theologian in this country said, those people that believe in the rapture before the coming of Jesus in glory, they believe that we're caught up into heaven and we wander around out here in the outer space somewhere till it's all done and Jesus comes back in power and glory. Well, then nobody in their right mind believes that. We're caught up to be with the Lord. There'll be the judgment seat of Christ. There'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on before Jesus comes back in power and great glory, but he will come back in power and great glory. But that's not what he's talking to them about. I will come again and take you, to, look at me just a second, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm not going to take time to do it, but if we turned over to John 17, in what is the true Lord's prayer, his intercessory prayer to the Father, Jesus prayed and he said, Father, I pray, I think I will read it. Uh, look over in chapter 17. Look in verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, 1720, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe in me that through their word, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. Come on, friends. This plan that is being fulfilled and is going to come to pass of Jesus coming, he, listen to this, everyone that he has saved, he wants us to be with him where he is. Well, how does that help a troubled heart? Excuse me. It won't 
if all you do is look here. That didn't go over so good over here, so I'll try it over here. It won't help you if all you're doing is looking at what's here. May I suggest you turn the news off for a while and get in the Bible? May I suggest you not read everything that comes along about the political fight and struggle that's going on and the effort of the left to make this a socialist country? May I suggest you look in the Bible and, and, and see what the Word of God says and see what Jesus said and then say, uh, I don't know where this is going. You can't trust what man's going to do. And even those that are on the conservative side, uh, some of them are part of the swamp too, so you really can't trust anything that man says, but you can trust what Jesus said. Now, did he say anything that can help me? Yes. Here's what he said. You be faithful. You follow me. You obey. This isn't forever. I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, uh, my purpose from the whole beginning was that you be with me where I am. And this is the purpose of God from the foundation of the world. Amen, amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said, you know the way. Thomas said, I can't act like I do when I don't. What do you mean? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. I'm not glad that Thomas struggled. Does everybody listen to this? But I'm sure glad his words are recorded and Jesus' answer. Because Jesus' answer is this. I am the way. I am the way. There's not another way. We was in Knoxville, Tennessee on a Sunday morning. Supposed to be in... Asheville, Tennessee, on Sunday night, got to drive I-40, however far it is. Massive traffic jam. Sit out there for two and a half hours in a traffic jam. Get into Asheville. I got just a few minutes, checked in, just stumbled onto the hotel where we were supposed to be staying. And I went to the desk and I said, I'm looking for this address and I'm looking for this church. This is in 1995 before hardly anybody's using GPS and I sure didn't have any. And so I'm saying, I, you got a map of the city? She said, yes. I said, I'm looking for this address in this church. She lays the map of the city of Asheville, North Carolina. Have you ever been there? She laid the map out, and I said, good grief. It's just roads going like this in the mountains. I said, lady, this looks like a bowl of spaghetti. How do you find anything here? She said, you just keep going in circles till you find it. <laughs> and I was out of gas on top of that, so I pulled into a gas station, and I told the guy, you know where this address is? He said, yeah, you go... He said, ah, follow me. And we made it on time because he showed me the way. He knew right where to go. You know what a lot of the religious even world is doing? Going around in circles and going around in circles and going around in circles. Hope they find it somewhere. You'll never find it that way. Jesus said, I am the way. Apart from me, there is no other way. The exclusive nature of the gospel is what is so offensive to this easily offended culture in which we live. But it won't change. When he said, I am the way, excluded the possibility of any other way. Even among theologians in the United States, there's discussion about, is there another way that people could get saved without, you know, what we call the new birth and repentance and such as this? And not if Jesus told the truth, there's not. I am the way. I'm the truth. Outside of him, there is no truth. Anything contrary to him is truth, uh, is a lie. It's not truth. It can't be truth. 
He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Do you know Jesus? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've been saved or not, but I think this. When Jesus said you must be born again, you know, your birth was a particular event. Almost every mother anywhere would testify. Yes, this is a particular event. I got to see our third child born. My wife did fine. I about died. You know what I mean? And how can anybody think that they came from the time when they were dead in trespasses and sin and the life, not just life, breath, but the life of God, who is God, came into them by faith in Jesus Christ, and you're not sure? can't remember if it happened or not. Are you serious? The dynamic of God moving in to someone that is dead in trespasses and sin and no awareness of? And no change? I don't think the Bible teaches that kind of salvation. Now here's one thing we do know. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no way besides me. There's a way that seems right in the eyes of a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I am the truth. Anything that is contrary to Jesus and what he taught is a lie. You can't come to him without truth. And I am the life. And there is no life outside of him. And if you know Jesus, you have reason to be rid of a troubled heart right here. And if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope for the troubled heart till you do know Jesus. See, I know, I, you know, I mean, I'm coming in here. I don't know who's saved and who's not. I've been shocked over the years as a pastor to find out. I mean, just preaching the Word of God. Here comes somebody. Wait, her grandparents were members here. She's been a member here since she's a little girl. She's taught a Sunday school class. What is it you came for, Miss D? D is the lady's name that just came to my mind. Brother Sam, I've never been saved. I've known it for years. I've never been saved. Well, if she was in church all of her life, if she got baptized, if she was teaching a class, if she did this. No, if she never received Christ, he never became her Savior. Everybody hear that? If she never came to the place of humility about her sin and her need of salvation, then no matter what she taught, who she helped, how much she came to church, she, he couldn't save her till she believed in him unto salvation. Not just having an intellectual awareness, but a matter of the heart, conviction, persuasion of sin. Do you know you're saved? He's the way and the truth and the life. There's not another way outside of Jesus Christ. And those that embrace that and believe it, he says to us, I will come again. But Lord, do you know what? Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. You're just a stranger here. Home is there. Literally, literally, home is there. I said literally. Don't get too excited about it now. It's just really true. You're going to heaven. 
literally. Without Jesus, there is no hope for the troubled heart. Lord, you know who's in this room. I, I cannot know. In fact, if I stood before the church I loved and pastored for many years, I couldn't know on any given Sunday who was saved and who is not. Some I felt confident about. Most I felt confident about. But some of the ones I would have said, yes, I'm confident of their salvation, later came of their own volition, not manipulated, not tricked into an invitation by a fancy evangelist, nothing. Just heard the word of God, fell under conviction and said, I can't play this game any longer and got saved. I don't know but what somebody's here that everybody thinks is saved and they know they're not. I don't know. But you know, if that's the case, I pray that they would see. You don't go to heaven because you went to church and people thought you were saved. Heaven is your home only if you've trusted Jesus as the way, truth, and life. Only through Jesus. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's not another way. There's not another avenue. There's not another route. There's not another name but the name of Jesus. I pray for saved people today. Saved people that may have troubled hearts. Maybe not everybody knows they have such a troubled heart about something in the personal life, maybe something in the family. Maybe their concern over our country and the direction of our culture, how it's going to affect future generations till Jesus comes again. Could be. I pray that the trouble in their heart, the turmoil, the confusion, the strife, the pulling apart, I pray, O oh God, that it would be put to rest by believing you, believing Jesus, embracing the truth of who we are and what you have in store. And the burden that we have should be for those that don't know you. Help us to have that burden. Yes, sir. Now may your Holy Spirit work. May you accomplish your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to have a time of invitation. If the Spirit of God's dealt with your heart, the piano will play. If you need to come and pray and talk to the Lord and answer Him, maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, I need to lay this burden down at your feet. Lord, you've given me sufficient reason in your word by reason of who God is and by reason of God making himself manifest in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and the promises that Jesus gives. I have reason to be rid of a troubled heart. A burdened heart for the lost? Yes. A burdened heart for a condemned world? Yes. A burdened heart for unsaved loved ones? Yes. A, a burdened heart for people that are troubled and don't have faith in God and don't believe Jesus? Yes, yes, a burdened heart. But not the trouble that takes your joy. Not the trouble that handcuffs you like it was the disciples. Not that crippling trouble that takes away any ability to serve effectively. The Spirit of God's at all touched your heart, and you know, I have need, I have a need to get things right with God. I need to get my focus where it belongs. I need to embrace what I know to be true of God, please. Father, bless the invitation for Jesus' sake. Amen. Right now, as we have the invitation open, if God's dealt with your heart, 
more than likely you know what to do. Well, I know I need to be saved, but I don't know what to do. Pastor will be right here. Somebody will take their Bible, show you how you can know you have eternal life, get this thing settled. Show you how you can know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Jesus said to those disciples, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.